John chapter 20, we're going to begin reading at verse number 19. You look good, saints. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. The psalmist said, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Amen. I'm overwhelmed this morning with gratitude to the Lord. Amen. Because I know what he's done for me. And I'm asking him, hallelujah, to help me contain myself. <laughs> because like the psalmist, when I think about his goodness and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out. My soul cries I don't need somebody to work me up. All I got to do is think for a little while. And something begins to happen in my soul. Hallelujah. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Welcome to the house of the Lord, saints. Amen. Uh, for those of you who are in the overflow downstairs, God bless you. Hallelujah. I hope you guys are having church down there. Amen. It is a packed house to the glory of God. Hallelujah. We are excited about it. Amen. Hallelujah. I got family in the house all the way from Strong Island. Hallelujah. My, my brother-in-law, his lovely family, hallelujah. Also, my mother-in-law, Sharice's mom, is sitting right next to her right now, hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Family is important. And uh, I love them, hallelujah, because they recognize how important family is, hallelujah. And uh, it's always good when we can get together. Amen. Hallelujah. You ready to get into this word? Amen. All right, let's go to it. John 20, beginning at verse 19. I read today in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And the word of the Lord says this so. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut. I want you to underline that if you're writing. When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. I believe he's going to breathe in this place today. And when he had said that, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said peace be unto you then said he to Thomas reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing and Thomas answered and said unto him my Lord and my God Jesus said unto him Thomas because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Do I have any of those in this place today? Come on, can we give them a good hand clap in here? I want to talk to you for a little while under the subject, a holy intrusion. A holy intrusion intrusion let's go to the Lord in prayer father in Jesus name we magnify your name we give you praise honor and glory 
And we ask you to have your way in this place. Minister to your people in a mighty and in a powerful way. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen and amen. Hallelujah. My God, it's a good day. Amen. Hallelujah. One of the things about this story that's pretty amazing to me is simply this fact right here. That Jesus, when he reveals himself, he reveals himself to the women first. Do I got any ladies in the house today? And if you're in this place and you're wondering to yourself, well, why is it that Jesus revealed himself to the women first? Let me tell you why. Because they were there. It's quite simple. It's not, it, it's not anything, hallelujah, mysterious. They were there. In other words, while the men were hiding, the women were seeking. They went to the tomb looking for him, hallelujah, and because they were seeking, he could not help but reveal himself to them. Do I got anybody in here who's interested in seeking the Lord? I tell you, if you look for him, he'll show up. If you look for him, he will show up. It's amazing to me that one of the gospels, the Bible says that he reveals himself as a gardener. And how many of you know that there is no coincidences with God? If he revealed himself as a gardener, it's because of a reason. Let me help you understand that. It all started in the garden. I said it all started in the garden. And if you know the story like I do, it was because of sin that man was separated from God and were excommunicated from the garden. Watch this. So when Jesus resurrects and reveals himself, hallelujah, to the women as a gardener, what he's really saying is, watch this, that the door to the garden has now been reopened. Are you in this place, church? Hallelujah. It's amazing to me that when the news of the resurrection came to the disciples, they were surprised, but they were not changed. And I begin to ask myself the question, is that even possible? Is it possible for somebody to hear the good news, be surprised, yet not changed? Is it possible that someone could sit in the service, hear the good news of Jesus Christ, what he's done, especially on a day like today, be affected by it somewhat, but yet remain unchanged. Now, I want to submit to you that the disciples are perplexed. They are scratching their heads concerning the things that have transpired as far as it pertains to the resurrection. Amen? Uh, the women have told them that Jesus is alive, but they are not necessarily receiving it. One of the gospel tells us that the disciples ran to the tomb. One of them outruns the other, and they go inside of the tomb. And it happened to be Peter and John. They go inside the tomb, and they find the grave clothes on the floor, and then they find a napkin very neatly folded. And again, how many of you know there are no coincidences with God? If you like to study Jewish custom, watch this. I found out through Jewish custom that whenever the Jews would come together, whether it was a feast or whether it was a time of fellowship in somebody's home, if they were pleased with their time there and, and they, were, they were wanting to let the host know uh, of the good care that was uh, uh, shown them, they would take a napkin, they would fold it a certain way, and they would put it in the center of the table. And by putting that napkin in the center of the table a certain way, they were giving the host or the people that hosted them two messages. Number one, I had a great time while I was here with you. And number two, I invite myself back again. So here's what you have to understand about that. When the disciples go into the cave and they see the grave clothes on the floor, but they see that napkin neatly folded, they were getting a private message from Jesus. Jesus was letting them know, hey guys, I had a great time while I was here with you and I am coming back. How many of you believe it in this place? Hallelujah. But they saw it, yet they did not receive it because they were still perplexed about what had transpired. They saw that the tomb was empty. It was evident that he was not there. But what was not evident was, where was he? Amen. Perhaps you're in this place right now and you believe that he's risen, but you're wondering where he is in your life right now. Amen, somebody. Can I submit to you, hallelujah, that the stone is rolled back, and we know that, but let me just say this to you. The stone is rolled back as a display. I want to submit to you, if you think 
that the stone was removed so that Jesus could get out, you are mistaken. If you read the text that we just read, our scripture reading for today, you hear Jesus come into the room where the disciples were and he did not use the door. So if he doesn't need a door to, came, to come in, he doesn't need for you to remove the stone so he can get out. In other words, the stone was not removed so that he can get out. The stone was removed so that the women could come in and see that he got out. Because as long as the stone is there, they will assume that he is still in there. Are you following me? And so watch this. If you read Matthew's account, it lets us know that the stone was removed moments before the woman got there. And it wasn't because the angel was trying to hurry up and tell Jesus, get out because they're coming. Hurry up, they're coming. No, no, no. He was already out. He removed the stone so that they could come in and see that he was already out. Hallelujah. He can penetrate walls. And walls that you can see are easy for him to penetrate. But I will submit to you that walls you cannot see are a little more difficult to get through. I said walls that you cannot see are a little more difficult to get through. How many of you in this place can testify or admit that we build walls? We build walls and we build several kinds of walls. Some of them on account of fear. Some of us build walls around certain relationships for fear of rejection. If I go to the other extreme, I will say some of us even build walls around our faith, putting ourselves in a box of limitations where we won't take a step of faith, where we won't take a risk, and we won't try anything. Amen, somebody. But here's what I want to submit to you. If the walls of death and the walls of the tomb could not hold Jesus in, what makes you think that any wall that you build and you hide behind will keep him out? I said, I serve a God who will penetrate walls. Hallelujah. If you read the story like I did, listen, in a moment, he was in the presence of the disciples. In a moment, he was in the room with them. There was no rumble, there was no eerie noise, and there was no sign of an entrance. My God. In other words, he didn't even knock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most of the time, he is a gentleman. And he'll stand at the door and knock. But I'm believing that in this season that we're in right now, God is about to violate some walls. God is about to intrude, hallelujah, on your life. And he's not going to need your permission to do it, hallelujah. He didn't knock. He didn't ring the doorbell. He just appeared. And he went through the walls. So it does not matter what walls you put up. There is no wall that can keep my God out. When he decides it's time to come in. Oh, and I just sense like God is about to show up in this place. <laughs> Hallelujah. You get a forensics team in there and they're going to leave that place perplexed because there is no sign of breaking an entry. There's no, there's no sign of any kind of entrance. Hallelujah. Because he didn't use the door, nor did he break the wall. He went through it. Mm. If the walls could speak, they would probably say, he disrespected us. <laughs> he violated us. He didn't let us do our job. On this particular day, we failed at our duty to keep everybody out. Watch this. After Jesus passed through their wall, they were changed men. You better hear that. After Jesus passed through their wall, they were changed men. And I just wonder if I got about five people in the room today that can testify that I used to have walls. And I had walls that were thick, hallelujah, and strong. But when Jesus got past my walls, my life was changed forever. Do I got anybody in here that can testify, hallelujah? When he got past my walls, he changed my life, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. He comes in the room, 
And the first thing that he says was, peace be unto you. In other words, he gives them what they did not have. Let me ask you something in here. Do you have the peace of God? Do you have it, hallelujah, in this place today? I will submit to you that the disciples, even though they had walked with Jesus in the past, on this particular night, on this particular evening, they did not have peace. I said they did not have peace. The Bible says that they were shut in on account of fear. On account of fear, they were shut in. And Jesus says, peace be unto you. Because watch this, there is no peace in hiding. Oh, God. I said there's no peace in hiding. Uh, whenever you decide that you are going to uh, go on the run. <laughs> you see, understand these disciples are on the run because they're, they're afraid that the authorities that arrested Jesus and crucified them uh, are now going to come after them. And so they are on the run. You ask any fugitive, you ask any criminal who's on the run if they have peace and they will tell you, no, we never have peace because we always have to be looking over our shoulder. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And whenever you're on the run or you're hiding something, from someone, you never have peace. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When God calls a man named Jonah and tells him, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to these people. Jonah decides, I'm not going. He decides to run away from God. And then he hides in the bottom of a ship. How many of you know this story? He hides in the bottom of a ship thinking that he's going to find peace in hiding. But a storm follows him. Because he's going in the opposite direction of his purpose and his destiny. And if you determine that you're going to run from God, run from the call of God on your life, run from the purpose for which you were born and created, run from your destiny, you're going to have a hard time finding peace even if you hide. As far as it pertains to the kingdom of God, you can run. But you can't really hide because... He will find you. And most of us assume that because we run from him or decide that we're not going to do what we're supposed to do, that he's just going to leave us alone. But if Jonah was here, Jonah would tell you, I thought he was going to leave me alone. But he came after me. And somebody ought to just take about 15 seconds and praise him for coming after you. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you didn't always do what he said, I wish I had some real people on a Sunday morning, and you didn't always have it together, and you decided I'm not going to do what God called me to do, and he didn't give up on you, but he kept coming after you. That's a good God right there. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. Jonah ran, but he could not find peace. If Gideon were here, Gideon will tell you, I was in the bottom of a wine press hiding for fear because the Midianite army was uh, overpowering us, overpowering the Israelites and stealing our harvest. And Gideon is in the bottom of a wine press. Watch this, threshing wheat. The only problem with that is you can't thresh wheat indoors. You have to thresh wheat on what they refer to as the threshing floor because you needed the wind so that when they threw the wheat in the air, the wind would separate the chaff from the wheat. Amen? And so he's doing it indoors. It's not working out so good. He's not being productive. You hear his conversation with the angel and he is frustrated. He's hiding, and he has no peace. There's no peace in hiding. Elijah, the prophet, decides after being threatened by one woman, never underestimate the power of a woman. He takes 500 prophets, false prophets, on a Mount Carmel, and he gets the victory. He gets threatened by one woman, and he's on the run talking about, I quit. Women, you got more power than you know. Hallelujah. And the lady said, <laughs> the men are looking at me like, he decides I'm going to quit. Listen, but if you've ever done what Elijah did and determined, you know what? I can't do this no more. I give up. You're going to have a hard time finding peace. You could do something else, but the question is, will you have peace doing something else? One of, the, one of the scariest things for me is to get to the presence of God in heaven one day and find out I was successful at doing the wrong thing. 
successful at doing the wrong thing. To find out that I did this much only to hear God say I had that much for you. Amen somebody. Hallelujah. Jesus passed their walls and the walls no longer had the power to hold them. Oh my God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Maybe they were hiding from the necessity to move on. Because they lost Jesus. You know how it is. If you've ever lost somebody you love and you went through a grieving process or a time of grieving, you understand that the desire to move on doesn't come immediately after losing somebody that you love. It becomes very hard for you to just move on. And perhaps that's one of the reasons that they were putting up a wall of fear because they feared moving on. Perhaps it was shame. We put up walls of fear because of shame, because of guilt, because of grief. Because of questions concerning the future. You ever asked yourself? Hallelujah. Not all of our walls are the same. Some of us hide behind walls of social position. Some of us hide behind walls of money, profession, even education. Some of us even hide behind walls of our own vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, and we tell people because we've convinced ourselves that we are victims. And maybe nobody will know or notice that I'm afraid to step out, that I'm afraid to try something, that I'm afraid to take a chance and do something different, that I'm afraid to take a risk. But my friends, whichever wall we hide behind, whatever we hide from, we are cutting ourselves off from everything and we are shutting ourselves in by our own choice. When you think about the, the situation here, those disciples are locked up, closed in within walls that are limiting them and they're in there by their own choice. And they can't reach out and nobody can reach in. And I wonder if I got anybody in here that can testify, hallelujah. That's what I've done with my life right now. I've just closed myself up. I don't need nobody and I'm not reaching out. And guess what? Nobody's reaching in. I can't reach out and nobody's reaching in. And nothing is going to change except, and it is a huge exception. But there is an exception. Nothing will change except there is somebody that can walk through walls. I said nothing will change unless there is somebody that can walk through walls. It won't change unless there's somebody who would not be shut out, who refuses to be shut out, unless there's somebody who will not give up on you even when you have given up on him. They had given up. They thought this was it. He's dead. It's all over. We left everything and now what? We don't have nowhere to go. Nothing to do. And here he comes. Oh God. Hallelujah. Mm. They were hiding on that first Easter Sunday. And Jesus comes in. Despite the locked doors and the thick walls. You might be able to keep people out. But when Jesus determines that he's coming in. I don't care how thick your walls are. I don't care how many of them you have up. He'll dissolve them. He won't even have to break them down into ruin. Or into rubble, he'll dissolve the wall of fear and set you free so that you can come out and be all that he's called you to be. Amen? The Bible says that when he got in the room, he breathed on them. Ooh. Let me tell you, one breath from God and your whole life will change. One breath from God and your whole life can change. One breath from God, since we're talking about resurrection, one breath from God got a man named Lazarus out the tomb. What, his word is his breath. He spoke one word. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And a man that was in the tomb four days, four days. Do you know what happens after four days? Your body begins to decompose. 
You know what happens after four days? You enter a process called rigor mortis. And you, listen, worms begin to eat at you. And despite, watch this rigor mortis, and regardless of the process of death and decay already taking place, and regardless of worms probably eating up half of Lazarus' body, when Jesus breathed, God help me in here, when Jesus said, Lazarus, the dead man had to come out the cave. One breath from God, and your whole life is changed. One breath from God in that cave, and fear disappeared. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? Hallelujah. Watch this. Here's the thing that amazes me about the story, though. If you read the text carefully like I did, he comes in there and he lets them know, in the same way I was sent, now I send you. In other words, he's telling them, when you realize that I am risen, it's time to move. Once you have realized that I am the risen one, it is time to move. He said, in the same way I was sent, I now send you. But when you read the story, they didn't move. If you read the story like I did, watch this. The next Sunday comes along. Eight days, the text we read said. Eight days later, they're in the same room. And the Bible says, and the doors were shut. Which means... They're locked in. Isn't that something? They're locked in. And here's the thing that amazes me. The first Sunday, Easter Sunday, there's 11 disciples in the room. The second Sunday following, there's 12 disciples in the room. And that blessed me. And this is just my personal thing I'm, I'm praying for, hallelujah, that there will be more people in the church on the Sunday after Easter Then on Easter Sunday, now that would be something. Amen, somebody. But watch this. The very fact that, that, John, that Thomas was not there on Easter Sunday, hallelujah, but yet he's there the following Sunday. Now, this is me. This is my thinking. Amen, I could be a little crazy sometimes, but this is the way I think. I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Thomas and I come the following Sunday and one of the disciples say, hey, we've seen the Lord. I would go, yeah, okay, that's nice, you know. You sure you didn't have too much pizza last night and you're hallucinating or you're seeing things? But what if two of them told me? What if three of them told me? What if four of them told me? We've seen the Lord. And the fifth one said, I saw him too. And the sixth one said, I saw him too. And the seventh one said, I saw him too. Eight says, I saw him. Nine says, I saw him. Ten says, I saw him. Eleven says, I saw him. If eleven people told me they just seen the Lord, I would begin to think to myself, you know, there might be something to what they're saying. Hallelujah. And I hear the Lord telling somebody in this place something in this place. And here's what I hear the Lord saying. How many people have to talk to you about Jesus before you believe? How many more people have to talk to you about Jesus before you believe? But Thomas said, I will not believe. One of the things I love about Jesus, hallelujah, is that it does not matter how many walls you put up. He's going to find the way in. I said he's going to find the way in. Understand who we're talking about. First of all, we're talking about the God. We're talking about the Christ that came forth, watch this now, out of a closed womb. Oh. Uh, remember the Virgin Mary. She was a virgin, which means she had a closed womb. And when God came forth, he came forth out of a closed womb. Three and a half years later, he comes out of a closed tomb. So, so watch this. If the God who comes forward out of a closed womb and then comes forward out of a closed tomb, surely he has the ability to enter a closed room. I said, surely he has the ability to enter a closed room. There ain't no earthly wall, no wall at all that can stand up against Christ. And no tomb wall can hold out the resurrection promise that God has for us. Amen? God is about to show up. 
Do you believe it in this place? It's amazing because he's not there when Thomas says the words, I'm not going to believe unless I see the nail prints or unless I see his side. When Jesus comes in the room, the first thing he does is, Thomas, see my hands. See, oftentimes, hallelujah, you think that because you don't feel the presence of God that he wasn't there. Or because you didn't see him, he's not there. But he had to be there. To hear Thomas say, unless I see his hands, I'm not going to believe. Amen? And so the first thing he does when he comes into the room is he says, see my hands. Oh, and it's powerful, hallelujah, because when he says, see my hands, you know what Thomas sees? Nail prints. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't get it twisted. It's me. In other words, not just me, watch this, I ain't no ghost is what he's saying by showing him the nail prints. I, I ain't no ghost, I didn't get up and now I'm in a ghost form and that's the only reason I could go through the wall of a building. No, 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 put your hands in, put your finger in the holes so that you can see that the same body that was pierced and nailed to the cross and put in that tomb, hallelujah, is the same body that stands before you right now. He says, it's the same hands. You know, I begin to think about those hands. That hand is on my life. That, that hand changed my life. That hand is still working and molding my life. Watch this. When I think about his hands, the Bible calls him the carpenter's son. One gospel says that he himself is the carpenter, which allows us or some scholars to believe that maybe he took over his father's business at some point for a little while until he started his ministry. But as a carpenter, I don't know if many of you know any carpenters. We have some in the church, but I happen to know a couple of carpenters, and when I look at their hands, their hands are rough. Amen? Somebody came up to me recently and shook my hand and said, you got soft hands. I was like, what? I said, what you trying to say? I said, That's the anointing. I didn't know how to receive that. I was like, okay. But anyway, a car, somebody who's used to working with their hands, you look at their hands, their hands are going to be calloused. Their, their hands are going to be rugged because they're always fixing things. They're always fixing things. And one of the things I love about his hands is while they may look rugged, they're gentle. Are you hearing what I'm saying? To the touch. And one of the things I love about God, one of the things I love about Mark Carpenter is that he's in the business of fixing things. I said he's in the business of fixing things. And one of the things that makes me want to take a little praise break right about now is that, watch this, he wasn't satisfied with just saving me. He fixed me. And I wonder if I got anybody else in here, hallelujah, who can testify. I'm so thankful, hallelujah, that he didn't just save me, hallelujah. Listen, being heaven bound alone is powerful enough, hallelujah. But if that wasn't enough, he fixed me. He put me back together. And now I'm whole. Ooh, can anybody praise God for that? He's in the business of fixing things. He said, look, it's the same hands, the same hands. The same hands that heal lepers is the same hand you're looking at, Thomas. Hallelujah. The same, listen, the same, the same hand that healed blind eyes, that touched a blind man and healed his eyes. On another occasion, touched a blind man twice because some of us need a second touch. Come on, somebody. Uh, he, he touched one man twice, and in the second touch, hallelujah, the man could see clearly. The same hands who touched, hallelujah, Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever and the fever immediately left her body. He said, Thomas, those are these hands. They're the same hands, hallelujah. The same hands that touched a 12-year-old girl when he looked at her and first said, Talitai kumai, which means Danzo arise, and then grabbed her by the hand and pulled her up. And the girl who was dead sat up, hallelujah. 
It's the same hands. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. The same hands that touched, watch this, hallelujah, a deaf and mute man who could not hear and could not speak. Those hands, he put his hands in the man's ear and then he touched his tongue and the Bible says that his ears were opened. Hallelujah. He said, Ephata, and which means be opened and his tongue was loosed and he said, same hand, the same hands that touched a woman that was bent over 18 years 18 years and she couldn't straighten up. 18 years and she couldn't get her life together. 18 years, hallelujah, in that dilemma, one touch from Jesus and the woman straightened up. I wonder if that's anybody's testimony in here, hallelujah. One touch, that's all it took. One touch from God and my life started to line up. My life started to align itself after one touch from those hands. He said, same hands. How many of you remember, hallelujah, on one occasion they came to arrest Jesus and Peter, you know, Peter was always a little wild. Peter pulls out his, his knife and he cuts a soldier's ear off. And Jesus takes his hand. God, help me. I would have been like, mm. he, he took his hand, picked up the man's ear and put it back and you have to catch that because that's the grace of God because when, Pe when, when Peter did that Jesus understood at that moment that he should be arrested too that he should pay for what he just did that I should not be the only one arrested now because Peter is guilty. But look at your God. <laughs> he took his ear, watch this, put it back as to say, hallelujah, I'm removing the evidence, hallelujah. And while the man was standing going, my ear, my ear, Jesus said, what ear? And when the devil says he sinned, he sinned, Jesus said, what sin? Hey God, what sin? He removed the evidence. He took my sin and he threw it as far as the east is from the west in a sea called the Sea of Forgetfulness. And today, I am free. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. If you're really blessed, shout glory in this place. Woo. My God, hallelujah. I done knocked my own mic off. <laughs> Woo, Jesus. Same, somebody shout, same hands. same hands. My God. Another occasion, there was a funeral procession. And a mama was leading the way, carrying her son to the grave. At that point, you think it's over. He's in a casket. He's dead. He's not breathing. But those hands, those hands are so powerful. He doesn't even have to touch the boy. The Bible says he touched the casket. And when he touched the casket, the casket popped open. When the casket popped open, the boy sat up. Hallelujah. And he looked at the mama and said, there goes your son. Ooh, I hear God saying, that's what I'm about to say to you, mama, concerning your child. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need a mama in here to say, thank you, Jesus. I need a father in here who has a child that is wayward and needs Jesus to touch where they are. Hallelujah. To say, God, I know you can do it. I don't care if the world says that a young generation is dead and doesn't want to know nothing about God. Hallelujah. When those hands touch that life. Hallelujah. Not hell, not devils. God, help me in here. Not any kind of influence is going to be able to hold them. Touch them, Jesus. Such a young generation. Woo. Hallelujah. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. You talk back to me, I finish faster. Same hands. Hallelujah. Woo. I wonder if I got anybody in here that could testify. That could testify. Those hands touch me. Those hands touch my life. Those hands are still touching me. Those hands are touching somebody in this room right now. Hallelujah. Same hands. Oh, my God. If that wasn't enough. Oh, my God, I got to hurry. If that wasn't enough, if the hands didn't do it, he said, okay, look at my side. Look at my side. Ooh, how many of you know he was pierced in the side? Let me give you some, 
Let me give you some pointers. Let me just teach for a moment, okay? Watch this. Understand this. First, he was pierced by a soldier, number one. Second, what was used to pierce him was a spear. Third, what was pierced was the body of Christ. Amen? Fourth, watch this, where he was pierced was his side. Fifth is the time he was pierced. He was pierced, watch this, when he said, it is finished. In other words, he was pierced when the sacrifice was complete. Six, watch this, six, the result of that piercing was an outflow. The result of the piercing was an outflow. Seven, the outflow was water and blood. For those of you who like to study, all of it means something. All of it is symbolic, hallelujah. One of the things that blessed me when I was studying is simply this. Here you have a soldier who approaches Jesus with a spear. Amen? And I could not help but to think about David, who is a type of Jesus Christ, who was approached by a soldier who had a spear. And his name was Goliath. How many of you are familiar with that story? Watch this. Goliath approached David with a spear... But David physically defeated him. And this soldier approaches Jesus with a spear, but Jesus spiritually defeats him. How, how do I know that? How do I know that? I know that because after he pierced Jesus and the water and the blood begin to flow, the man falls to his knees and says, surely this man is the son of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? Now, if that, is, if that isn't amazing enough, the story gets better, hallelujah, because watch this. David defeats the soldier or the giant, hallelujah, while he's still alive. But Jesus defeats this man while he's dead. Remember, he's piercing him to make sure he's dead. Jesus is already dead. They just need to confirm it. And this man is defeated. This man falls on his knees and Jesus is dead. You can't bury the anointing. You can't, oh God, help me. If I had time, I would take you to the story in the Bible where it talks about the prophet Elisha. And the Bible says, watch this. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. The Bible says, watch this. Uh, there was Elijah and Elisha. Elijah did seven miracles. Elisha did 14 miracles. Elijah was the mentor of Elisha. Elijah asked Elisha, what can I do for you? Elisha said, I want a double portion of what you have. So he said, all right, you asked for a hard thing, but if you see me go up, you're going to get it. Long story short, Elijah did seven miracles. Here comes Elisha. Does one miracle, two miracles, three miracles, four miracles, five miracles, six miracles, seven miracles. He catches up to his, his mentor and his leader. But you ain't no real mentor, no real leader until somebody under you that you train does more than you. So watch this, now he does eight miracles, nine miracles, 10 miracles, 11 miracles, 12 miracles, 13 miracles, and then he dies. Now, last time I checked, and you don't have to be a mathematician to figure this out, double is double. And so if he did seven miracles, he would need to do 14. But he did 13, and then he died. And I can imagine Satan celebrating, saying, ah, he ain't no real prophet. Because if he was a real prophet, whatever he said would have to come true exactly how he said it. So he failed. But on one morning, they were carrying a dead man into the cemetery. And the cemetery was full. So they had to open up a grave. Guess whose grave they opened up? They opened up Elisha's grave. And the Bible says, when the dead man hit the bones, bones of Elijah, the dead man sat up and woke up. And I can imagine God looking over the banister of heaven saying, that's 14, baby. Because if I said it, it's going to happen the way I said it. My God, have mercy. My God's word is true. You can put it in the bank. Hallelujah. 
heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall remain forever. Oh, God, help me in here. Pierced in the side. That's where I was, right? Pierced in the side. And the Bible says, water began to flow. Reminds me of when Moses was in the wilderness and hit the rock. And the Bible says, water flowed out of the rock. When you read your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says that that rock was Jesus. And that they all drank from that spiritual rock who followed them in the wilderness. Woo! Jesus in the Old Testament. Are you hearing this preacher? My God. If that wasn't enough, watch this. The fact that they pierced his body. We mentioned that, right? The fact that they pierced his body, just in case you don't know, his body is the temple. Just like your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I was reminded of Ezekiel's dream. There was a prophet named Ezekiel who had a dream and said that this river began to flow. Oh, God, a river that just continued to rise, but it began to flow from the temple. And it began to flow, watch this, from the east side. Not from every side, one side. And so when they pierced Jesus, that river began to flow. Amen, somebody? How many of you know that rivers flow from fountains? Water flows from fountains. There's a prophet named Zechariah who said this, watch this, who prophesied. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. This is hundreds of years before the crucifixion. They shall look on him whom they have pierced. John, in chapter 19, the chapter before the one we just read, quotes Zechariah, basically saying that what Zechariah was talking about is fulfilled in the crucifixion. Oh, Zechariah said this in 13, chapter 13 and verse 1. He said, watch this. On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. That was fulfilled when Jesus was pierced in the side. That might be a little deep for a Sunday morning, but I hope somebody can get it. Amen. Watch this. The Bible says water, water begin to flow. Indicative of baptism. Baptism representing the old man going down and the new man coming up. It is a type of resurrection. Amen. Water. Watch this. The water of Moses' rock satisfied the people's thirst temporarily, but they ended up thirsting again. But the water, hallelujah, that Jesus, oh God, began to release was water that will satisfy the whole world. This is why one place in the Bible says, if you drink from the water that I have, John chapter 4, you shall never thirst again. And I wonder if I got anybody in this place that could testify, oh yeah, I know I've tasted and seen that God is good. Hallelujah. The water that flowed out of Ezekiel's temple, which represents the body, the Bible says, watch this, that it began to flow outside of the temple, outside, and everything it touched got healed. The Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. The fish were healed, the trees were healed, and begin to give forth fruit continually. Amen? The fish being indicative of souls, and the fruit, hallelujah, what you've been called to bear. Amen, somebody? This is why the Bible, the psalmist said, you shall be like a tree, planted, where? By the rivers of water, whose leaf shall not wither, but whatever he doeth shall prosper. I was called to bear fruit. As long as I'm in that river, I'm going to bear fruit. Amen? Let me try to land this plane. It wasn't just water that flowed out. It was blood. Leviticus says that the life of a thing is in the blood. That the blood is the life of a thing. The life is in the blood. When that blood began to pour out, even though he was dying, I was getting life. That blood saves. They crucified him during the Passover. You know what the Passover represents? 
The Passover is when in Egypt, under slavery, that 10th plague was going to come. Remember, there was 10 plagues. That 10th plague was the, the firstborn was going to die. The death angel was going to come. Here was the instruction of the Lord. Take a lamb, kill the lamb, slaughter the lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorpost of your home. So when the death angel comes, if he sees the blood, he'll pass over. When Jesus spilled his blood, hallelujah, and you received that sacrifice, that blood now is applied on the doorpost of your heart. And death no longer has power over you. That's why the apostle Paul said, oh death, where is thy sting? And oh grave, where is your victory? Death no longer has power. The grave no longer has power. Those walls have been dissolved. By the wall breaker. Oh. Are you blessed in here? The blood seals covenant. The blood seals covenant. That's a little deep too. But watch this. If a man and a woman, I'm going to get a little graphic here. If a man and a woman save themselves for marriage and then come together, blood seals the deal. In other words, it is a blood covenant. From a spiritual perspective, when Abraham, who is the father of the faith, watch this makes a covenant or God makes a covenant with him. The Bible says that he took a sacrifice, laid it on the ground in two rows, and then symbolically a smoking furnace and a torch passed by representing the father and the son and sealed the deal. It was a blood covenant. Today we are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise because of that covenant. Because of that promise. Are you blessed in here? Blood purifies. I said blood, Moses sprinkled blood on everything that was, going to use, that was going to be used in the house for worship. And that blood prepares us for use. I'm not being used of God because I'm perfect. I'm being used of God because the blood has been sprinkled. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When that deaf angel passed by, he didn't look inside the house to see how they were behaving. He saw the blood. The blood is enough. Oh, somebody ought to want to. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Let me close. Look at my hands. Look at my side. It's the same body. Same body. Resurrected. Walking in greater glory. Still same body. Amen? Hallelujah. Some of you are still looking at me funny. And they were probably looking at Jesus funny. Because they probably still were like, I mean, yeah, I touched them. But it still could be a spirit, right? Maybe it's a spirit. You know what Jesus does? This is humorous, but it's powerful. Jesus said, you got something to eat? Because I'm going to let you know it's, it's, it's my body. You got something to eat? And they give him a fish, and he eats the fish in front of them to let them know, I ain't no ghost. Oh, God, help me in here. To let them know, I ain't, I am not a ghost. It is me. It is me. Woo. Now, let's just say that he's, he's, he's an illusionist. Let's just say he's got them all fooled, and he's, he's using magic, right? And, and it's some kind of illusion. Well, when he walks out of the building, the same way he came in the building, the fish should stay behind. I mean, think about that. I told you I was a little crazy. If he's an illusionist and he's some kind of ghost, then when he went through the wall of the building on his way out, the fish should have stood behind. But I hear God saying, hallelujah, when the fish is in me, the fish go where I go. You see, yeah, some of you are going to catch that in the parking lot. Hallelujah. Because when the Bible talks about fish, on one occasion he told, he told Peter, watch this, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Hallelujah. When the Bible talks about parables, about catching fish, it's talking about evangelism. It's talking about catching people. Use a net and you'll catch all kinds of people. Hallelujah. Watch this. The Bible uses the term in Christ often. Hallelujah. You hear me what I'm saying? So what he's saying is if you are in me, wherever I go, and I don't know if you know the rest of this story, but he's about to go to the Father. Hallelujah. He's illustrating to them, if you are in me, you go where I go. 
I wonder if I got anybody excited in the overflow. I'm starting to wonder if all the praises went downstairs. <laughs> Are you blessed in here, church? Woo. I'll close with this. I was also reminded of Jarius' daughter, the 12-year-old that he raised from the dead. This I thought was powerful because he raised her from the dead. And when she wakes up, the very next thing he says is, get her something to eat. In other words, she resurrects, eats. Jesus resurrects, and he eats. And I heard the Lord say, watch this, when I quicken you, when I wake up the part of you that was dead, make sure you feed on my word. I didn't save you for nothing, hallelujah. I saved you because I want to use you. Once I wake you up, once I quicken you, quicken means make alive, hallelujah. Make sure you eat. Not just physical food, spiritual food. My Bible says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, Jesus is illustrating, hallelujah, eating on another level. And for where God is taking you or for what God wants to do in your life, I hear him saying, you need to start eating on another level. You know you're eating on another level. God, help me in here. You know you're eating on another level, hallelujah, watch this, where you walk through hard things and you don't lose what you received. Listen, a wall is a hard, those walls were made out of stone, hallelujah. He walks through it, and he illustrates to them, that's the way I want you to walk. Some of us lose our joy. Some of you are going to lose your joy before you get in your car in the parking lot. You're going to stump your toe. And something's going to come out your mouth that's not godly. <laughs> and lose your joy. That fast. The Bible says that the enemy comes immediately after the word is sown to try to snatch the seed. Yes. So see if you got the ability to hold on to that word. Amen. Are you blessed, church? I have more, but I got to end. Listen, I wanted to end with this because this is how Jesus ends with him. Jesus tells Thomas, Thomas, stop doubting. Stop doubting. Stop being faithless and believe. He tells him, listen, you, you believe because you see me. But blessed is he that does not see and still believes. Can I help you in here? In the kingdom of God, in the economy of the kingdom, seeing is not believing. That's the world's philosophy. The world says, I'll believe it when I see it. But in the kingdom of God, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. Oh, God, help me in here. I said believing is seeing. You want to see, you have to believe. This is why Jesus told, watch this, the sisters of Lazarus, women, didn't I tell you that if you would just believe, you would see the glory of God. But we often say, if I just saw a couple more miracles, I'll believe. That's not true. Worship team, come up here. Lazarus, rising from the dead, should have sealed the deal for everybody. If I'm there, now you can act cute if you want to. If I'm there, and I see the man that was in the tomb four days come hopping out of the tomb. When Jesus called him, I'm at Jesus' feet. You know, I mean, that should have sealed the deal. If seeing is believing, that should have sealed the deal. But the Bible says that the religious were there. And you know what the religious did? Instead of believing, they became indignant. And they became more adamant in their efforts to kill him. So seeing was not believing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Caiaphas, the high priest, seen many of the miracles Jesus did. Heard about the miracles that Jesus did. 
He should have believed, but he was more concerned with his own little world. He said, if we're not careful, the whole world's going to go after him. And we're going to lose our prestige. We're going to lose our little religiosity. And he was more concerned with that than he was with believing. Unbelief is not based on insufficient evidence. Unbelief is not based on insufficient evidence. We have evidence today. We have so much evidence today, it's not even funny. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have over 300 prophecies that have been fulfilled that cannot happen by chance. It's already been proven. It's incredible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about the cosmological argument. And the cosmological argument basically says, watch this, that we just found out or recently found out, and scientists are having to deal with this right now, that the universe had a beginning. That the universe is aging. And, 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 and scientists already know it. So now they're having to scratch their heads and come up with other ideas. And it's, it's gotten so extreme that National Geographic just recently released an article that says that the universe uh, created itself. But anything that has a beginning cannot create itself. Anything that has a beginning has to have a beginner. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The New Testament has been proven, watch this, through all the laws that exist even in the world to determine whether literature is genuine, the New Testament passed with flying colors. Did better than Plato, Aristotle, Homer, and all those people. They don't even have enough copies to be considered totally genuine, yet they're in our children's textbooks. But the New Testament passed with flying colors. It has been proven that Jesus walked on the earth and rose as historical fact, not just miracle. But seeing is not believing. Ooh, you could play something for me. Because unbelief is based on selfish interest. I said unbelief is based on selfish interest. It's not that I don't believe. It's just like Romans chapter 1. I trade the truth for a lie because I want to keep doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And I don't need nobody telling me what to do. And so I want to live in my own little world and exclude him. But he's real. I said he's real. kingdom of God, hallelujah, belief always precedes light. This is why the Bible says that faith is the, ev faith is the evidence of things not seen. Walk by faith and not by sight. If you see miracles without believing, you're hard in your heart. Oh yes, you will. Seeing miracles isn't enough. You just can't substitute for faith. It is an absolute requirement to accept who Jesus is. Amen, somebody? Jesus did not work miracles to cause faith, but he did them to confirm faith. And there is a difference. Thomas, stop doubting. Oh, God. Don't be faithless. Reach for me. It's me. Stand to your feet. We create walls. There's all kind of walls erected, maybe even in this room this morning. Walls of fear, 
guilt, shame, fear of rejection, vulnerability because of past events and circumstances. Defenses that are strong, tall, and thick. And they've been up for a long time. They've been up for a long time. Walls of the fear of death. You know you think about it. Those few minutes, hallelujah, you lay awake at night before you go to bed. Where you ask yourself, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more to life than just this. God, are you out there? You know you've prayed it. And I want you to know he heard it. What I love about Jesus in this particular story is that he doesn't knock. He doesn't wait for anybody to open the door. He intrudes. He just comes in the room. And I believe he's in the room right now. And he's saying, hallelujah. Thomas, stop being faithless. And only believe. If you believe, you'll see. And so every head bowed, every eye closed in this place. It's decision time, saints. You can either leave this place the same way you came in. Or like Thomas, you can surrender, fall to your knees, and declare, my Lord and my God. His life was forever changed. He was no longer doubting Thomas. He was a great apostle who gave his life for the gospel. Nobody would give their life for a lie. He got full of the Holy Ghost and became a great man for God. But he had to make a decision that day. And so this is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day of salvation. And I hear God saying, Thomas, I came for you today. I came for you. He had already come for the 11, but he came back just for Thomas. And I don't know who you are in this place, but I hear the Lord saying, I came for you. I came for you today. And so if that's you, I challenge you right there where you are to surrender like Thomas and come meet me on this altar. I know the church is packed, hallelujah, but I dare you tell somebody next to you, make some room for me. I need to go, hallelujah, to that altar. I need Jesus. I need the resurrection to come and resurrect my life. Hallelujah. Come. 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 Hallelujah. It takes boldness. It takes boldness. It takes boldness to one minute say, I'm not going to believe and refuse to believe and then surrender. Come to this altar. Come now. Come now. Come now, come now, come now, come now, come now, come now.